Support for this podcast comes from the Rodman Law Group, a Denver-based law firm with a global reach. The Rodman Law Group specializes in FDA compliance, civil litigation, criminal defense, and the hemp industry. Learn more today at therodmanlawgroup.com. From Colorado Public Radio and PRX, this is On Something. Hi, Grace. Hey there. So I want to play a game with you. This podcast is for fun and discovery, so yes. (laughs) I thought it would help explain a little bit why this story matters. Okay. Let me play some sounds for you, and you tell me which ones of these sounds you associate with weed. Mm. Okay, I mean, that one's dead on. That's a bong hit. (laughs) Yep, you got it. What about this sound? I love reggae. This is actually called a ganja farmer. Okay, both of these sounds have been hilariously on the nose. (laughs) Okay, so let's try this third sound. What do you associate this with? I don't know. That sounds like some kind of machine running or like a fridge running or something. Uh, (laughs) Very good guess. It's actually the sound of electric lights. Ah, okay. So this is how most legal weed is grown in Colorado and a lot of other states. Yeah, I've been to some of these places before where it's like blindingly bright and there's tons of machine sounds. It's very noisy. Right. Here in Denver, 4% of the city's electricity use goes to the lights and the whirring fans and the HVAC systems. All of that goes to power the city's marijuana businesses. And it's not its not just Denver we're talking about, That's right? right. Yeah, it's not just Denver. A study by New Frontier Data says that if you look at all of the energy that powers indoor grows across the country, you could power a city the size of Newark, New Jersey or Anaheim, California. And that energy use is expected to more than double in five years. Wow. This is how most wheat is grown. It's grown indoors. All of this is to mimic what actually happens out in nature, where plants are grown under the sunlight. And it's actually a problem for cities like Denver because they have 100% renewable energy goals. And you can imagine all this electricity coming from coal-fired power plants. Yeah. That's kind of a problem. Well, and also, like, space is super finite here, right? So there's nobody setting up beautiful outdoor cannabis farms in the middle of Denver. They're all uh, in warehouses or industrial spaces, right? Absolutely. Okay. So the point here is that you, if you're buying weed in Colorado or other legalized states, are part of the problem. This electric hum, uh, the HVAC sounds, all of that is really what you should think of when you think of weed in 2019. Is there a way to grow weed without having this like insane carbon footprint? There is. It's actually one of the things that I've been thinking about. What does it look like to grow weed sustainably? All right. 
you know what you're talking about. You're our environmental reporter here at Colorado Public Radio, and you also cover energy a lot. So you're going to take us to meet a person whose whole life is sustainable weed. That's right. This is On Something, stories about life after legalization. I'm Anne-Marie Awad. On this podcast, we talk about weed and how it figures into the rest of our lives on this increasingly toasty planet. So, Grace, you went on this little road trip to talk to a guy who is trying to grow weed sustainably and fix this problem with, you know, weed being a little greedy when it comes to energy consumption. We sent you two and a half hours west of Denver, over the Continental Divide, past a little town called Gypsum. Wow, it doesn't get much more Colorado than this. We're on a gravel road. We just drove past a ranch where this rancher had like a little mini pickup and he had like, it looked like a border collie or something on the flatbed of his truck. And it's just so green right now. I mean, I'm looking at really green pastures. Oh, I love that part of Colorado. So you drove down this dirt road for miles and there were ranchers. Yep, and people living in uh, dilapidated log cabins. Right, and farmers and, well, one weed farmer. So we're looking for mile marker 11. And up there in the mountains, just after mile marker 11, you meet Rob Trotter. Yeah, there's this ranch gate with a sign that says TNT. It stands for Trotter and Trotter. Rob and his late father. Are you Rob? Yeah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. It wasn't going to rain today. Pleasure. This, uh, nice pleasure yeah. to meet you too. Absolutely. What kind of a guy is Rob Trotter? He's pretty spry. He's pretty thin, tan kind of gray salt and pepper hair that's a little bit long and hangs under his baseball cap. So this is the home of Pot Zero. That's the name of Rob's operation. And it's also the name of a brand of weed that we can find in some dispensaries here in Colorado. And he's been growing weed for five years up there. Five years, but it's been 27 years since Rob bought this operation with his dad. And, you know, it's really changed. Like, there used to be just a few dilapidated structures on the property. And now he's got a home, a couple other structures, and the marijuana grow. So, okay, tell me what that marijuana grow looks like. Well, to get there, and we actually had to get on an ATV. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let one of you guys drive, too, because I drive a little crooked. <laughs> I drove, by the way. Okay, everyone, uh... Oh my God, this is so much fun. <laughs> we drive up, it's muddy and rocky. You get to the top of the hill and you just see this fenced in area. That's great. Pull it, pull it down so it goes into park. Yeah. And then turn the key off. All right. Okay, so you've arrived at the Grow after what sounds like a very fun journey. <laughs> How big is this place? It's like two acres. Um, you know, when I we got there, it looked like an empty field. There were maybe a couple of plant stalks just poking out of the field. They hadn't done any planting yet this year. Okay, so you were up there in May. That makes sense. 
We're up there, and the first thing I really notice is, like, all these little plants. They're seedlings, and they're sitting out on these giant tables. And behind the plants, you actually notice these small shipping containers. And that's actually where Rob starts out the plants as seedlings. These are our seedlings that we brought out for the day. And I mean, what's this time of the year like? So uh, what of these little these little guys? I mean, there's dozens, hundreds of them. There's almost 10,000. And uh, these little guys, uh, their lives started when? Uh, about four to six weeks ago. And so some are bigger and some are smaller, but they're within a few weeks of each other. And did they start in these little shipping containers here? They started in the shipping containers and we start from seed. We kind of had to customize genetics to work for up here. So up on this mesa, Rob has kind of found like a little microclimate. It's a warm pocket of air that actually has similar temperatures and conditions to Afghanistan. Okay, that clicks, right? Because people out there probably, maybe some people out there, have smoked Afghan kush before. And, you know, a lot of weed comes from Afghanistan. <laughs> so it's weed's been growing there for centuries. Yeah. It makes total sense. We're at 8,000 feet, and we're at a very similar latitude in terms of the amount of sunlight that you're going to get at the same time of the year. And so if it works in Afghanistan in those conditions, we thought it would work here. Okay, so what is it that makes this grow sustainable? Rob is really trying to be one with the landscape. I know that might sound a little uh, wooey, but he's lived on this land for so long. He doesn't want to use pesticides. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is mostly an organic operation. And For one example, that means keeping things like aphids off of his plants. As every gardener knows, those aphids, those little bastards, are little sap-sucking bugs that can kill your plants if you don't don't get them first. They're here, and we release several hundred thousand ladybugs, and they really go after them. Get them, ladies. Uh, ladybugs, how do, how do they get here? Do they come on a shipment? Where do they come from? <laughs> Amazon Prime, two days. <laughs> you want ladybugs, you got ladybugs. So aphids are a pest that indoor growers are probably not dealing with as much, right? Well, indoor grows, they do have some pests. It's not a completely controlled environment, but it really does not hold a candle to being outdoors. That's where you have things like voles. Voles. That sounds like a creepy crawly. They're actually these cute little tiny rodents. They can wreak havoc on Rob's weed crop. He doesn't use pesticides to kill them. He actually installed these little small underground fences. They're three feet deep around his grow perimeter. And he actually puts these owl boxes in the trees nearby. Owls build their nests there and they can take care of the voles. So there are owls protecting this weed. Yes. That is pretty cool. It's very Harry Potter. But no magic. He's actually using nature to fight nature. Some would argue that's magic. (laughs) (laughs) So what about the carbon footprint? We're getting there. Let me take you next to this little stone shed. It's right by the creek. It actually kind of looks like a big dog house. This is actually where Rob uses water to make power. It's a renewable energy source. We have no snow melt coming off of this mountain yet. This, this is nothing. Uh, 
what's going to come once the heat comes is so much water, then I can put on more nozzles and make even more power. I mean, I just want to dwell on the fact that this is the single biggest overhead for most marijuana grows. It is. Electricity. It is number one. And you are, aside Zero. from your maintenance, you are paying what, sir? Zero. Oh, okay. So I get it now. That's where he gets the name Pot Zero, right? That's exactly right. Uh -huh. So zero electricity, next to no carbon footprint. And I got to say, Rob's pretty unusual here in Colorado, not only for the fact that he grows outdoors, but also for the fact that he supplies his own electricity. What about those pot farms that I hear about in California? Those are outdoors, right? You're exactly right. So say, for example, if you went to the Emerald Triangle in Northern California, yeah. they've really been growing outdoors sustainably for decades, whether it's legal or illegal pot. So, you know, it's not unheard of to have a low carbon grow elsewhere in the country. But here's the key thing, Anne. You can't sell California pot in Colorado. Right, because the federal law. That's right. Yeah. So here in this state, Rob's pretty cutting edge. What's grown here has to be sold here. So Rob's grow doesn't have much of a carbon footprint, unlike these other indoor grows in Denver. But what does he even need that electricity for, right? Isn't everything outside? It doesn't need fans and lights and such. Well, remember those little plant seedlings that I introduced you to? Um, they were sitting on the table right when we walked yeah. into Rob's grow operation. He needs hundreds of hours of super expensive grow lamps to get these seedlings going. That's not how other, for example, other outdoor grow operations in California may just use sunlight to mm -hmm. get the plants going. But Rob uses some electricity. And if you think about how a traditional indoor grow operates, they spend tens of thousands of dollars a month uh, yeah. on getting plants to grow. Uh, and that's simply what goes into their electricity bill. So I've never seen what a hydropower plant looks like. I mean, is this is this easy? Is this something anybody can do? I don't understand all the particulars, but I will tell you this is a turbine that's spun really fast and generates electricity based on water that falls down a very specific grade or slope down a mountain hillside. So this already sounds way too hard for me. It's pretty complicated. And Rob just happened to choose a very special place, a special property that enabled him to have this very efficient and uh, power-producing plant from hydropower on his property. This guy is up in the mountains, putting forth a lot of effort into growing sustainable weed. After a short break, we're going to find out if all of this work has a payoff. Is he making money? Stay tuned. Hey, it's Anne. I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Listeners like you make On Something possible. Hundreds of thousands of people have listened to our podcast since it launched back in 2019. You've been there with us while we've explored everything from CBD to cooking with cannabis to social equity across the entire industry. It is really humbling and I am so grateful. The reporting, the stories told, and the issues explored, you made all of that possible. And if you feel like helping our show, head to onsomething.org and contribute if you can. Once again, thank you so much.
We've been getting to know Rob Trotter, a guy who basically eats, lives and breathes sustainable weed. He's trying to grow it as cleanly as he can with the teeny tiniest carbon footprint. But there's something really important to know about Rob and about how he's able to do this work every day. And it's actually something that started decades ago, way before we found him high up here in the mountains growing sustainable weed. Do you want to take it from here, Grace? So long before Rob moved to Colorado, he lived back in Wisconsin. And he was working for the family company back there. They did packaging. And he started to notice some problems with his eyes. I was having struggle driving at night. Um, seeing the lines, you know, the, the, the lights from other cars were really bothering me. And um, it became very evident that there was an issue. You know, what happened next really threatened to take over Rob's life. And it still kind of hangs over the work that he does at Pot Zero. And I had always had poor eyesight, as in very nearsighted, but not your retina diminishing. Rob actually found out that he has this rare genetic disorder. And over the decades, it's caused about 85 percent blindness. Wow, 85 what, what does the world look like? What do you see right now? I'm looking out in the field. We're sitting in a field. Um, I can see the hill on the other side. You know, and I can Is it all blurry? It's, it's all blurry. I can see it's a gray hill. And, you know, Rob is such a nice guy. He still makes eye contact, even though he can only see out of his peripheral vision. So Rob is essentially blind, right? Like that's, is that why he let you drive the ATV? That's right. Ah. When he moved out to the property with his parents and his wife in the 90s, they bought this place, I think, really with like his future needs in mind, knowing right. that he had this genetic disorder. And I don't think, though, he ever really imagined that he would be running a pot growing business. Of course. Who predicts something like that? But then recreational weed does become legal in Colorado. And then what? Rob goes to Denver one day to visit one of the city's many indoor grow operations, and he starts to get interested in doing his own thing. And so we were invited into this grow, and, you know, it was lovely. They were doing a great job, no doubt about that. But it just kept pulsing through me that I had all the heat from the lights kind of in my face. And, you know, that's really where Rob saw his opportunity. Why inside? Why all this energy? And why not outside? And so that's where I got, you know, on this mission. And, and then the real question was, you know, I'm not just outside, but I'm at 8,200 feet. Will it work up there? So he gets this idea. He spends thousands of dollars on seeds, plants it all in the ground. And then, then, then like what? The first season, he planted about a dozen strains of marijuana. The plants started to grow. Things were looking good. And we were really excited because we knew we had a crop. You know, we we had buds. Um, looked promising. Looked promising. You know, harvest is a very exciting time because, you know, all of your effort is now coming back as, you know, the bounty that makes the operation run. So we have a lot of excitement, and that quickly fades to disappointment. Out of the 12 strains that Rob Trotter planted, just two panned out. They were black-eyed Katie and Camel Walk Kush. And I looked that up after I got back to my desk, and those are also names of fish songs. <laughs> if we would have not had those two strains, we'd have said, well, that didn't work. Let's close up shop. But two, experiment over. two did work. Two did work. 
And those two strains actually taught Rob a lot about what he needed to build a successful outdoor grow operation up in the mountains. He got them both from the same cannabis seed bank, one that uses careful breeding, not genetically modified seeds or GMOs, to make plants that can really thrive at high altitudes in Afghanistan or the Rocky Mountains. So I have to imagine that this guy, Rob, is a big old tree hugger. Okay, so here's the really interesting thing. The environment does matter to Rob, but he's also, I think, first in his mind, he's an entrepreneur. So he's a real go-getter. He's all about overcoming challenges, especially personal challenges. What's it like running a, a agricultural business that's very labor dependent and you have uh, your eyesight is impaired. Um, make no mistakes. People that lose their eyesight have uncanny ways of figuring things out and it's the rewiring that happens. You know, I never knew all this until my eyesight left, but I can honestly say that there, there's a gift to it. The gift is that your imagination and your memory go way up. That helps a tremendous amount. It helps in the whole operation. You know, it's really hard for me to wrap my brain around how a guy can run a farm while he's functionally blind. Well, you know, I think it's really two things. Rob relies on the people around him to provide support of different types. But, you know, the other thing is who he is as a person. He's a really optimistic guy. Once you're stuck between that rock and a hard spot, you better figure it out quick. Once you hit the stop sign and where everybody else is saying, well, I don't know what to do next, my brain is wired to go back up, turn right, get around the stop sign one way or another, and there's always a way. I kind of have this philosophy that there's no such thing as a problem. There's just solutions waiting to happen. So... Wow, I'm going to write that and put that on my wall or my desk (laughs) cubicle. (laughs) It's a positive mindset. Okay, so let's get to this big question that I'm sure some folks are wondering. He's green, but is he making green? Is he turning a profit? It's got to cost a lot of money to grow this stuff sustainably and up in the mountains, too. Yeah, I mean... Let's face it, it's it's hard. Since Rob started his grow, you know, the price of pot in Colorado has really dropped. Pot, like actual just like weed weed, is yes. so stupid cheap now. It is. And Rob's been in business for five years. He thinks he might actually break even in 2019. I mean, this year, it is such a critical point for his business. Okay, so people care about where they're wine comes from, people care about where their whiskey comes from, their coffee beans. Do people care about where their weed comes from? I mean, who's buying this? Rob seems to think so. He didn't use these words, but I really liken it to artisanal weed. It's artisanal. Artisanal. (laughs) What's really interesting to me is these parallels, a parallel between Rob's pot growing business and the industry in Colorado. I mean, both have really gone from these crazy, far-fetched ideas to something that really does truly seem to be going somewhere. An industry. An industry. A capital I industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked Rob about whether his business is going to stand the test of time. He actually answered me with this story. So I mentioned he moved out into Colorado with his parents. He actually moved out from Wisconsin. And in the early years of his pot business, Rob said his dad of Trotter and Trotter Ranch was always kind of skeptical of like what he was doing there. 
And then he remembers bringing his dad out to his pot fields and walking him around last September. We got a lot of dollars on the line that we've, you know, saved over our lifetime. And, and we've also used up five years of our life, okay? And when you're doing something, it better work when you're that far invested, right? And he was worried about it. And I walked him around that plantation a few days before he died. And damn it, I didn't get a picture that was so stupid, but I didn't know he was going to. Okay. And he looked at me, and he's a smart guy, self-made, built his own thing. He looked at me, he said, you're going to make it, aren't you? And I said, yeah, we are. I said, I have no doubt in my mind. And he could see just by what it looked like compared to the years before that we have now got something. And so he was, he was all in. When did he pass? Uh, just this last fall. This yeah. last fall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to ask, how did that feel for you? I mean, we all seek the approval of our parents, right? It felt great. That was just a great moment. And now we carry on because this thing, um, you know, it's got legs and you just, you just got to keep making it go. Rob Trotter has fought voles, aphids, all with a pretty significant visual impairment. And this year, he's going to go up against his biggest challenge yet. Oh boy. The local planning board. Rob's trying to convince local bureaucrats to allow him to expand his operation from two acres to 40 acres. 40 acres. 40 acres for weed. Yeah. 40 acres seems like a lot. There are certainly bigger outdoor grows that can really challenge Rob Trotter. And, you know, it's all about economies of scale. Right. So Rob is really trying to scale up. I mean, there's a really big outdoor grow in Pueblo and southern Colorado. But the key thing is that Rob thinks the future of weed is outdoors, not indoors. Interestingly, indoor grows don't have scale. They're done. Because they can't... They'd have to build a bigger building. They, they really don't have scale. So they they're like a dinosaur. Uh, they have no scalability. You build a 10,000 square foot or a 20,000 or a 100, you might think you got the monster. But when 40 acres comes online, I'm going to make it look puny. Oh, 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 damn. Mic drop. Yeah. Boom. So Rob Trotter sounds like he's pretty confident that he's got a winning strategy here. But I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. He may put those indoor grows out of business with his 40 acres, but how is he going to compete with huge agribusinesses that might come along with 400 acres, right? What's the plan then? Well, I think it really goes back to something we said earlier. Rob sees himself as an artisanal grower. He doesn't really see those as his main competition. So he's focused on growing a large amount of very high-quality artisanal wheat. Right, like the wine industry or all the fancy single-origin coffee I buy. He's hoping there's going to be customers who are going to pay a premium for the good stuff, right? Exactly. And, you know, we just described Rob's experiment, but I also described a large grow operation in Pueblo in southern Colorado. That's right. And they're growing a lot of weed with less electricity. And here's the really interesting thing. I think it's very much an open question in, say, 10 or 20 or 30 years when weed, say, is legal at the federal level 
and it can be sold across state lines. It can move across state lines. Weed grown in California can be sold in Colorado. Well, it's kind of like our food, right? Exactly. It's, I mean, it's most times that I'm buying strawberries at the grocery store, they're, they're from not grown in California, right? And at that point, I think that growing weed indoors, my sense is that you can make the argument it's not financially viable. Weed may need to move outdoors at that point. So whether or not it can be grown outdoors with a zero-carbon footprint, my sense is that that's still kind of going to be a niche thing. Mm -hmm. But I think it really depends on where you are in the country. If you're in the climate where you can grow all year round, maybe you don't need lamps like what Rob uses up in the mountains to start his little seedlings. There's so many different variables there, but uh, ultimately we really will know more, I think, when Rob scales up to 40 acres and starts to really kick off the next phase of his business. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. Thanks, Grace, for taking a road trip for us. <laughs> Thanks. That was Colorado Public Radio reporter Grace Hood. On Something is a labor of love reported and written by Anne Maria Wad and me. I'm Grace Hood. Produced and mixed by Brad Turner, Rebecca Romberg, and John Pino. Our editor is Curtis Fox. Music by the extraordinary Brad Turner and Daniel Mesher. Our executive producers are Rachel Estabrook and Kevin Dale. On Something is made possible by lots of people like Francie Swidler, Kim Wynn, Dave Burdick, Allison Borden, and Matt Hers. If you like what you're hearing, talk to us on social media. We're at On Something Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also join the Cool Kids Club and get our On Something newsletter. You can sign up at onsomething.org. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This podcast is also made possible by Colorado Public Radio members. Learn about supporting Colorado Public Radio at CPR.org. Can we bring in like the Harry Potter music over here? <laughs> do, 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 do. Support for this podcast comes from the Rodman Law Group, a Denver-based law firm with a global reach. The Rodman Law Group specializes in FDA compliance, civil litigation, criminal defense, and the hemp industry. Learn more today at therodmanlawgroup.com.